Thank you. We're in Matthew 28, the last book in Matthew. And verse 18. We know what our mandate is, spelt out very clearly for every one of us, expressed in the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before he went to heaven. We're going to speak the last words people are ever going to hear from us, we'll pick those words carefully to make a lasting impact. Matthew 28 and 18. <clears throat> then Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. That is not a suggestion. That's a command. And the gist of it you can find in those four words. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. You might have heard me suggest before that if Jesus had a favorite word, that word might be come. Come. Maybe to somebody here today in this auditorium, somebody watching this on video at a later time. And he will say, don't look elsewhere or stop looking elsewhere, but come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, says Jesus, and I will give you rest. Anybody who's sick and tired of being sick and tired, come to me. And his second favorite word, and the second word we'd like you to hear from him, is the word go. First come, then go. Go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, go and be my witnesses. But for most of us, we don't need a ticket. Julia mentioned that, God willing, 14th of February, we go to the Cape, take part in an all-nations conference there. Born of the vision of Alfie and Lena Fabe, 
Many of us know and love them, they're in glory now, but the vision lives, just the baton's been passed to others. And uh, two weeks today, God willing, I'm booked to speak at Herman Abraham's church in the morning, some remember Herman, give the opening address at the conference in the evening, that's the 18th, you can tell I didn't do the schedule. Need a ticket for that. That's the 14th of Feb. We're going for three and a half weeks, God willing, on the 20th of February, if I've got my date right. Jeff and Pam going to Lesotho for two weeks to a church which is relating to Kerry, sees Kerry as their apostle, and a church to which this couple have been many times, well, a good number of times. So there's a platform of relationship. When they go in, faith will be kindled. Now, when you mentioned, excuse me, talking to Jeff for a moment, but when, when, when you mentioned a few weeks ago that Jeff and Pam and John and Julia were going to Africa in February, voice behind me, a bit disparaging, said, Dad's army. <laughs> Sounded like David Oliver to me. Okay. No. But to fulfill the commission, most of us don't need a ticket because our mission field is on our doorstep. It's in our neighborhood. It's the people we work with, the people we study with, the people we share accommodation with, the people in our own circle of contact. That is our mission field. God says, go to them. I'm going to ask you a question. Now, when you're a teacher, you don't name somebody and ask the question because the rest can turn off. You throw the question out and they don't know where it's going to land. So you ask the question first and then you mention the name. Understand that? Probably in any class you've got those people, perhaps less gifted academically, not with a lot of confidence, and never volunteer to answer a question. If they got it wrong, worst dread would be the class would laugh at them. So you'd pick for them a question which you knew they would be able to answer. And when they did, you'd say, well done, you'd commend them. So my question, did Jesus command us to go and win converts or to go and make disciples? And I'll find somebody in my category Keith, you're a shy, retiring young man. Why do you, you must encourage him. What do you think you want? Win converts or make disciples? Make disciples, didn't he do well? <laughs> Next question. How do we make disciples? Or you say, well, we teach them all that Jesus commanded us. Yes, but there's a proviso, there's a condition. Do we know what that is? We ourselves have to obey the commands before we teach others what those commands are for themselves. And here's the essence. If we are going to make disciples, we are first going to have to be disciples ourselves. That makes sense? 
Think of the people in my life who've most encouraged me to run after God. I thank God for them. They had hearts burning with hunger for the living God themselves. They were running after God. They had an anointing on their life. They had a quality of life about them which I yearned to have for myself. Didn't want to clone them, but I wanted to learn what they had and how they had it. And I thank God for them. And I don't take them for granted because when they came across my life, they could have been nowhere in God. They could have been lukewarm. They could have put me off instead of encouraging me forward. Anybody here know it's possible to have a saved soul and a wasted life? Anybody here know that we are never going to lead people higher up the mountain of God than we ourselves have climbed? So that's another incentive to keep climbing for their sake as well as ours. Now the essence of discipleship, the quality absolutely essential if we grasp it. Luke 9.23, hear the words. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up a cross daily and come after me and follow me. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up a cross daily and then follow me. If we don't carry a cross, we don't begin to know what it is to be a disciple. Matthew 10, 15. He who does not take up his cross is not worthy to follow me. If we're not willing to take up a cross, we're not even worthy to carry his name. That's what the scripture says tells us. So we say, well, what is this cross you're talking about, John? Or you say, my cross is my mother-in-law. No. You say, it's this, this hay fever, which I have all the way through the year. It's a cross I can't. No. Well, it's an ornament. I wear it on my lapel or a pendant on a necklace. I have nothing against that. If it's meant, if it's worn meaningfully, it can be a conversation starter. But the thing we are talking about is not a precious silver or gold ornament. It is a means of death. It is a method of execution. And if you or I saw a man carrying a cross in the day when Jesus was alive upon this planet, one of two things were going to happen to that man. He was either going to be roped to that cross or he was going to be nailed to that cross and he was going to hang there until he died and sadistic man had never devised a means of execution to cause more agony to last a longer number of hours than that.
So the invitation is a life of self-crucifixion. A life of self-crucifixion. That's the invitation. The essence, we'll read it in John 12, 24, Jesus speaking. I tell you the truth. He didn't need to say that. He only told the truth. But just for emphasis, hear this. I'm telling you the truth. If we don't understand this, we haven't even got off the starting block. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Are we hearing that? Watch my fingers, I've shown you before. There's the one finger, represents the big eye, and the cross crosses out the big eye in our lives. It crosses out the self. We're called to a lifetime of dying to self. Paul wrote these words. Whatever did he mean by them? I die daily. How often did he die physically? Once. But every day, Paul died to self-pleasing. He died to self-determination. He died to his rights, to his own life. He lived a life of dying. Dying to self is the reason and the cause of all wars. Big wars, small wars, and this is hypothetical. I can have an argument with the person I'm sharing my life with. I don't have to. It takes two to make an argument. If I don't want one, there isn't one, but I can have one. I can have a bust-up, I can have a row, and when I look back, the issue at stake was so small, so tiny, so inconsequential, so petty, why ever did I have World War III on an issue like, we know, because self will fight tooth and nail tenaciously to have its own way, that's why. Self will fight to prove that it's right. My way. My way is right. My way is best. Self will always want to demand the last word. Even if it, when I'm flouncing out of the room and slamming the door behind me, I'll have the last word over my shoulder. Self will always blame somebody else. Adam started the blame game. You gave me the woman. The woman gave me the fruit. Eve followed. You allowed the serpent in the garden. The serpent enticed me to eat. We're carrying on the blame game. Self will never want to admit it's wrong. Okay, I smashed the vase smithereens, shouldn't have left it on the edge of the shelf. Not I'm clumsy. Always somebody else. 
Self will always want to impress. One thing a self is concerned about, maybe the only thing, what do people think of me? That's the measuring rod. It's okay to dress to impress. It's okay to look smart. Okay to look smart. But if all I want to do is impress people, that's self having a field day. Self likes the limelight and self does everything it possibly can to put itself in the limelight. That's self. Many manifestations of self. See if the cap fits. Unfortunately, it's fairly near the size of my head on many occasions. There's selfish ambition. Read Macbeth. He was a fine, noble, courageous man, but self. Self-assertion. Self-determination. Self-gratification. Self-indulgence, self-interest, self-importance, self-pleasing, self-promotion, self-preoccupation, self-pity, self, self-reliance, self-righteousness, self-satisfaction, self-seeking, self-serving, self-vindication. Self-justification, self, 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 self. Manifesting different ways at different times. Mankind outside of the grace of God is intrinsically selfish to the core. Intrinsically and inherently selfish. So if things don't affect me, I'm not much bothered about them. And the first item on the news, there are floods in Bangladesh and hundreds have been drowned and thousands are homeless. And the fourth item on the news, petrol's going up 5p a litre next Monday. And which am I more bothered about? Only one person has ever lived upon this planet who has not been selfish, and his name is Jesus. He lived for other people, not himself. He died for other people, not himself. And his invitation, clarion call from Scripture is, will you please be willing to follow me to walk in my footprints, to walk in my footsteps. We'll not understand this life unless we understand the purpose of God for us, each one of us. Shall I tell you the purpose of God in one sentence? He wants us to be like Jesus. Christ-likeness is what he's after. But if we're going to have to be like Jesus, if we're going to have to follow his footsteps, We're going to have to embrace a life of self-sacrifice. There's no way around it. I thank God for his word to the church this year. We're going to see increase. I'm not surprised. God is a God of increase. That's his nature. 
of the increase of his government and peace, there is no end. Kingdom of God is like a tiny mustard seed. It's going to grow and grow into a huge majestic tree and it's not going to stop growing. The path of the righteous, the one right with God, is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until the fullness of day, ever increasing revelation. That's what we are told. And it's true. And Jesus will say to everybody in this room today and listening afterwards, if you've got a heart and a hunger for God, he will say to us what he said to Nathaniel, whom he see, saw beneath the fig tree, you will see greater things. We will see greater things than we've ever seen or known or experienced before. We will, with our own eyes, I'm telling you, greater demonstrations of the power of God, we'll see them. If we're running after him hard enough. And maybe greater things we've ever dreamed of or ever imagined. We'll see them. But, but there's a proviso there's a condition. Do you know what it is? John the Baptist spelt it out six words. He said there are two things, they go together, they walk in tandem, and you can't have one without the other. Do you remember the words? He, Jesus, must increase, and I must decrease. He must grow greater and I must become less. And maybe I need to become less in somebody else's life because they're depending too heavily upon me and they need to learn to depend more upon Jesus. And so I must become less in their experience. I've really said it all. The essence of the Christian life of being a disciple of Jesus, for only then can we make disciples, the essence of the Christian life is a willingness to die. To die to self over and over. Take up your cross daily. Because his self remains on the throne, Jesus might as well remain on the cross. But I'll say this, if Jesus is on the throne of our life, that self is going to go to the cross over and over again. And the measure of the life of God in us, and don't forget we have as much of God or as little of God as we choose, every single one of us, but the measure of the life of God in each of us will be the measure in which we are willing to die. I'll finish with one sentence. It's not a very complimentary comparison. 
The next time you and I see a drain pipe, maybe when we move from this building to the next or when we get home, There are only two qualities needed in a drain pipe. One, it's got to be in the right place. And two, it's got to be empty and unblocked. And God wants us as his drain pipes in the right place without our lives choked and blocked by sin and by selfishness. I'm going to move away from this podium. I'm going to ask when they're ready. I'm not rushing it. The musicians to come up, and then I believe Jeff will finish this meeting. But let's just ponder. Mm -hmm.